There we go. I can see everybody. Good morning. Glad that you're here. If you're a guest, like Don said, we welcome you. We are glad that you've come to worship with us, and I'm glad to be here. Last week, we were in Nashville. I had a nephew getting married, and so we were in Nashville this morning. When I came in, one of our senior adult ladies said, well, did the baby get born? And I started to say, well, it was a wedding, and then I saw she was looking at my stomach. So I told her, I said, no, I'm just six months along, you know. So we're glad you're here. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, okay? Matthew chapter 14, I hope you brought your Bible. I want to encourage you to open it. But then I want to, after we read the passage in a moment, I want you to keep it open, okay? There's some things that I want to kind of point out to you as we work through the passage and Maybe uh, if you're a note taker or at least if you have a pen, you may want to circle a few of those words that I'll be talking about. Yes, we are in a, a short series, not a long one, a short series, and we're looking at and exploring where Jesus says in the Bible, come. The word come from the lips of Jesus. A couple weeks ago we began, and we're going to need folks to scoot in some more or get some more chairs, Okay. We got several still outside. Can someone help me, Stu? And okay, several weeks ago when we began, we uh, we began looking at what Jesus said: "Come to me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden." We talked about some of the burdens that we carry in life. We talked about how that sometimes uh, we get caught up in religion. In fact, I think that whole passage about in Matthew 11 there, Jesus is talking about a lot of the legal restrictions that that we tend to place on people. And and Jesus was kind of getting uh, against the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, and basically was making an appeal, listen, forget about the rules and regulations. Come to me. I'll carry your burdens. I'll make your load light. Last week, our student pastor, Preached on suffering not. I don't think he probably used the word suffering not, but he said forbid not. Where's Mark? Is that what you said? Let the little children come. Aren't you glad to have a student pastor who believes the Bible? Huh? Yeah. Studies the Bible. Preaches and teaches the Bible. He's going to help my retirement one day, okay? Well, let me tell you what I want to do today. I want to talk to you on the subject and it may sound strange to you a little bit as we begin, but I want to talk to you on the subject of coming and walking on water with Jesus. We're going to talk a little bit about a storm. We're going to talk about what Jesus did in the storm, how he helped all of the disciples, but he really helped Peter. And gang, I don't know what's going on in your life. It's not by accident you're here today, okay? Now, you may have come for a baptism. You may have come to just check out a church. I don't know. But it's not by accident you're here. It's not by accident that we're doing this series. And it's not by accident that today we're going to talk about that passage where Jesus walks on water, okay? Maybe we can draw out some things that can help you a little bit. Let me tell you one thing I I learned as I was studying the passage. I... uh, I realized as I, through this whole series, I've been just checking out those words where Jesus says, come. And one of the things I discovered was that every time Jesus 
had a lesson that he wanted to teach his disciples. He always pulled them aside. He pulled them into a small group. And he always gave them life lessons or teaching bullets. Today, I guess we would call it e-blasts, you know. Now, it doesn't mean that he didn't preach to the masses. He did, obviously. He, in fact, in, in, in this chapter, he, he preaches to 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children. He feeds them with five fishes and two loaves. And so Jesus taught the masses. He, he proclaimed the way of God. But every time Jesus wanted to teach a life lesson, Every time Jesus had something that he wanted to, to just drill into his disciples, he always pulled them aside, and he always taught them in a small group. And so I want you to know, dear people, whether you go to another church and you're here visiting, whether you're not really a member of Indian Springs yet, but you're thinking about it, or if you are a member of Indian Springs Baptist Church, I want to say to you, that you desperately need. It is crucial that you find yourself in some kind of small group. I think this is important. I, I tell you, I rock and roll when Stu and his team gets up here. I'm not too old to rock and roll. It just takes me a little time to recover, you know. I like that. I think it's important that a preacher, teacher, We'll stand up here and say, take your Bible, open the Bible, let's look at a passage of Scripture. That's important. We encourage you through that way. Holy Spirit may convict you through that way. But gang, I'm telling you, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, if you want to get to know God better, if you want to become a devoted follower of Christ, you desperately need to find yourself in some small group that works for you. That's what Jesus did. Man, we're just trying to model Christ. That's, that's what Jesus did, his whole ministry. When it came time to zap him, he pulled him aside. That's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, Matthew chapter 14. We're going to begin reading in verse 22. Let's stand in honor of God's word and Let's read verse 22 through verse 33, okay? And then leave your Bible open, okay? Verse 22, Matthew 14, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. And after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat had already gone a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And good old Peter, bless his heart. Peter got out of the boat, walked on water, and he came toward Jesus. But bless his heart, he began seeing the wind 
And he became frightened, the Bible says. And he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and he took hold of him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, notice the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat, the Bible says, worshipped him. I'm going to come back to that. Worshipped him saying, you are certainly God's son. Father, incredible passage. It helps us, but we've got to grab hold of it. We've got to get our head around it. God, I, I don't know that. I'm fully capable of, of that, but I want to attempt it. God, I want to attempt it because today you've assembled a group of people and some probably really need, I needed it. And so they need it. So help us to unravel it, then help us to apply it because it'll be a, make us more like Jesus. And we need that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you. Be seated, okay? Now, let me tell you how I, want to, how I want to begin this, okay? There are several words in here. As I studied the passage, there are several words in here that I think it's easy to miss if in a casual reading, okay? So what I did, I went, kind of went through that verse by verse, word by word, and I, I want to talk to you about some words for a moment, and then we'll try to draw some life lessons, okay? I want to talk to you. If you look at verse 22, if you, if you circle words in your Bible, circle the word made, there okay that's very important immediately he made his disciples we want to talk about that for a moment okay verse 27 it is I very crucial words that we're going to talk about okay verse 28 the word if called a condition so circle the word if verse 31 circle the word immediately we're going to talk a little bit about that verse 31 the words little faith that's pretty crucial to this story. We'll talk about it. And then verse 32, uh, as I said earlier, I want to talk to you a little bit about the word worshipped, what it meant to them. Getting all of these words flavor the lesson. And if we don't get a handle or get our head around the words, then I'm not sure we're going to understand what Jesus is trying to do here. And I'm not sure then that we can apply it to our life situations. Okay? So let's start. I, I think I think it's important. I think, in fact, I think it's very significant that the Bible says Jesus made them. Do you see that? Jesus made them get into the boat. I doubt they wanted to leave them alone. Everybody likes to hang with Jesus, right? But the Bible says that he made them. Literally, he compelled them or he forced them to be alone. Now, gang, several things I think are important. First of all, we all need quiet time, right? We ought to have. I told my Sunday school class. Today, as I was teaching, man, you got to have a, a few minutes every day alone with God or you can't handle the, the challenges that come. But I also think there are those times in our life when we need lonely times, that we perhaps go through things and we wonder where, where God is. We wonder if he's left us. We wonder if we're all alone What's interesting to me here is that, is that Jesus made them get into the boat alone and he knew all along there was going to be a big storm. Gang, chew on that. 
He made them alone because he knew the storm was coming. Maybe this morning, you're in one heck of a storm. Maybe the waves are battering your life. Maybe the wind is howling all around you. And you're wondering where this God is. This God that you're supposed to worship and this God you're supposed to trust. And everything is going to hell in a handbasket in your life. And you're saying, God, where are you? He's right where he was. When he sent the disciples off by themselves, he made them get into the boat. And maybe that's where you're at. Look at verse 25. He came, the Bible says, during the fourth watch, which is between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning, which means they'd been fighting the storm for about nine hours. Think about it, gang. Jesus got them alone, left them alone to fight the storm what they thought by themselves, for nine hours. He got them away from the crowd. He wore them out physically. Maybe that's what he does to us at times, huh? Maybe, maybe you've got to be alone. Maybe you've got to get to the end of your strength before God can really show himself and minister to you in a personal way. Look at verse 27. This is incredibly important. Jesus comes up to them walking on water, and he says to them, Hey guys, take courage. It is I. Now, when you read that, it may not mean much to you. It may be just like identification. But let me tell you, very strategic words that Jesus used here. In the original, it's the word ego I me. You don't, you don't ever know what that means other than the fact it means I am. All the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, anytime the word I am is used, it's a reference to Jehovah God. So he comes walking to the guys. They're... Scared spitless, you know. And he comes walking up and they're, they're frightened, they're scared to death. And he says, take courage, guys. It's I am. It's Jehovah. Don't worry, guys. It's God. That word was first introduced to us in the Old Testament. Remember Moses at the burning bush? God says, hey, Moses, I want you to lead the people out and He said, no, no, you got the wrong guy. He said, no, I don't make mistakes, Moses. He said, well, when they ask who you are, what am I going to say? God said, Moses, I am who I am. When they ask you, tell them I am. And hear Jesus in the midst of a storm, when they're all alone, When they're all tired, here Jesus says, I am, guys. Take courage. It's me. It's God. And we need that at times, do we not? Don't you need to be reminded when you're all alone, when you're tired, that there is still the great I am who's in control of your life? Look at verse 28. 
Peter, I mentioned to you, this is called a condition. Peter says, if. It's kind of like this, if you are, then I will. And I had to laugh when I studied, oh, Peter, he's so human, you know. Here's the idea. Jesus, is, <laughs> Jesus just said, uh, I am Jehovah. And then Peter says, well, if you're really Jehovah, bid me come. And Jesus says, come. And he did. Verse 31, the word immediately. Isn't it precious that when Peter's faith began to falter, God comes to him at the point of the falter. Jesus was right, his hand was right there. Now gang, listen. Peter's faith did not fail. Peter's faith faltered. And it faltered at a tension point. It faltered at a a, a, at a tough time, a, a stress point in his life. And it's only when you get in the storms and you feel all alone and you're tired that Jesus immediately comes to you and he demonstrates himself to you. But it's got to come when you're strung out, when you're just give out, when you're broken out at a stress point. Maybe you're in a stress point. Maybe you're at a point in your life where there's, there's incredible tension in your life. Gang, you're at the point where you may begin to walk on water. Notice Jesus says little faith. He doesn't say no faith. And the same is always true for God's kid. You see, when you receive faith as a gift, you never lose what God gives. And chew, chew on this, by the way. Peter was closer to the Savior when he was seeking than he ever was when he was in the boat or when he was walking even on water. He was closer at the breaking point when he began to sink. So I want to say to you, maybe get out of the, get out of the boat. You see. When Peter obeyed, it was the safest place to be even though he may have thought he was sinking. And the safest place to be in your life is in the center of God's will, even if you have to eat Rolaids all day long. Or even if you think it's not going to shake out, I don't know how this is going to work. That's where you're at that point in life where God can demonstrate. We just had a young couple leave our church to go to seminary. Justin's 35 years of age. I was... 35 when the Lord called me to preach, so I've been having these flashbacks. You know, I've been telling them, dude, you're causing me horrors, you know, because uh, I'm having all these flashbacks. And he and I were talking the other day, and he said, you know, I, I'm just so scared. But he said, I'm excited. I said, yeah, I know that. And he said, I don't know how it's all going to shake out, but I believe it will. I said, yeah, I know that. He said, what do you think? I said, go buy a whole case of Tums and move forward, dude, you know. <laughs> But that's what it's all about. You see, you're closest to... You may not know it. You may not even think about it. But all oh, dear people, you're closest to the Lord when you think you're sinking. Then if you just stayed in the boat, get out of the... Listen, gang, get out of the boat. Don't miss the dance. If Peter had stayed in the boat, he would have missed the dance. And then so many times, God pecks on our heart and God rings our bell and God gives us those wake-up calls to get our attention so we'll get out of the boat. 
and dance on the water with Jesus. It's okay to dance as long as you keep one foot on the ground if you're a Baptist, okay? Oh, listen. You can't imagine what God may want to do in you and through you. But you'll never do it when you sit in a boat, okay? Well, verse 32, and then we'll draw some lessons. Verse 32, what was the outcome? Notice in verse 32, um, when they had got into the boat, the wind stopped, not verse 32. uh, Where's the verse that they worship? Ah, verse 33. And those who were in the boat worshipped him. I wonder what they did. You ever thought, that's what, worship, they didn't have a guitar. I mean, what did they do, sing Kumbaya? Or Michael rolled the boat ashore? What did they do? I mean, they didn't have traditional music. They didn't have contemporary music. They just, maybe, real worship is more than music. Maybe it's just being in his presence and recognizing that when you're in the presence of God, everything else is okay. They just worshiped God. Well, when I got through looking at the words, I began to ask myself, okay, Tom, what can you learn? What can, what can we pull out of here? that might help us on Monday or Tuesday or Thursday or especially Friday, okay? Let me me give you some things to think about. I think there's some things, gang, that you got to come to terms with. I think you have to... The great challenge for me as a teacher is try to absorb the passage and then lift out of the passage some, some life lessons, okay? You with me? Let me just give you some things I saw. The first thing that hit me is you got to come to terms with your fear, okay? Did you notice what happened? They said, it's a ghost, and they cried out. And the Bible says they were terrified. The word terrified means uh, the, the, the analogy of it is a tidal wave that keeps breaking in and rolling in as opposed to a calm sea. As bad, It's a kind of a play on words here. As bad as the storm was, It wasn't even close of what was going on inside their stomachs. Now, what does that mean? Well, were they following Jesus? Yeah, he made them get in the boat. They were obedient. They were seeking after Jesus. What does that tell us? Well, let me throw three things. You see them up there. Obedience birthed challenges. Any time you surrender your life to Christ, anytime you decide you're going to do some things that are eternal, anytime you decide to get out of the boat and follow the master when the master tells you to come, there'll always be challenges in your life. Obedience always births challenges. Obedience always births fear. Now, is fear sin? What do you think? Yeah. That's what the Bible says. But again, listen. You're not Jesus. And I'm not Jesus. You are who you are. And fear kind of goes along with this challenge of obedience and, and challenge of following after God. 
Obedience always births fear. But obedience always births faith. Let me tell you about faith. I'm going to end with faith. Faith always calls for some kind of decision. Now, if you don't know Christ, and he begins convicting you of, of sin and righteousness and condemnation to come, then it's going to birth a, a decision for Christ, a surrender of your life in repentance and faith. If you know Christ and, and you've accepted him as Savior, if he's saved you through grace, then it's going to challenge you in your walk, but there's always some kind of a decision that comes out of faith. And so the first thing I saw was, man, you've got to come to terms with, with fear. You've got to deal with fear and put it in the right perspective. Second thing I saw is you've got to come to terms with your focus. You know, Peter was great, wasn't he? Until he did what? He took his eyes off Jesus. Man, as long as his eyes were locked on Christ, it didn't make any difference what the circumstances were, right? Man, it was him and Jesus. Man, he was locked in, you know? But the moment he took his eyes off the Lord, what happened? He began to look around. He began to feel the wind. He began to, to, to feel the spray of the water. And all of a sudden, he got kind of shook up. So you have to come to terms with your foe. Who are you looking at? Hebrews 12 says, Run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me tell you something, gang. Every storm has a purpose. The storm you're going through today, and I just imagine a large percentage of where I'm going, my wife and I are going through a storm. It's a family storm. You know, we're not sure how it's going to shake out. You know, I'm no different than you. Man, I, 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 life's hard sometimes. Family's hard sometimes. Relationships. You know the problem with, I said this two weeks, you know what the problem with the relationship is? It's you. Yeah, it's people, right? Everybody has storms. But the storms of life always have a purpose. Every storm that God makes you go through is designed for him for one of two reasons. Number one, it could be a storm of correction. In other words, there may be some sin habits, some sin patterns going on in your life. And I want to tell you, if there's a, a perpetual sin pattern going on in your life and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you better hook up close because you're about to enter a storm or you're in a storm. I, it's, amazing, it's, it's amazing to me that, that it, it seems like in, in our Christian circles today that so many men are struggling in, in, in pornography. And guys, listen. If that's true in your life, you need to get help. You need accountability because you're about to go through a storm of correction. And that doesn't mean God's mean or harsh. You know what it means? It means God loves you. And he doesn't want his name tarnished. And he doesn't want you hurt. And he's going to bring a storm of correction into your life so he can get your attention, cleanse your life. Ladies, I don't know what you struggle with. Maybe it's going to the mall too much. I don't know. But if you're, in a, if you're in a lackadaisical spiritual thing, whatever, then God's going to bring young people, I want to tell you, especially young people, with all the pressures you have. These storms of correction are sent by God. Or it could be a storm of perfection. Maybe everything's okay right now. And so what God's going to do is bring a storm to purify 
and to mature you. Now what I like about Peter here is this. His request was not about circumstances. His request was about convictions. When he knew that God commanded him, he stepped out of the boat. If he'd have thought about the circumstances, I don't tell you, gang, he'd have been just like you and I. He'd have been a good Baptist. He'd have never gotten out of the boat, you see. But when he knew it was God, he did. Now what I want to say to you is this. Conviction. What we believe. Conviction. What you believe must always drive our lives. And it must always win over circumstances, even if they seem impossible. So you've got to deal with your focus. And then number three, I think you've got to come to terms with your faith. Okay? Earlier I told you that Peter's faith faltered, but it, but it didn't fail. And it never will if you're a child of God. Because you're saved by grace. And you're sustained by grace. And ultimately, you'll be escorted into heaven by grace. Two things I want to leave you with, and I, then I'll be through. Okay? First thing about faith is that faith is an initial gift. We call it justification. It's a declaration by God that you're not guilty. Okay? That's, what, that's, what, that's what justification is. Let me tell you, justification is when, when through repentance and faith, God forgives you of your sin. And in the same breath, God places in you His righteousness. You got that? It's just not removing your sin and forgiving your sin. He pours into you Himself. He wants you to know that you're accepted by Him. You have every claim to everything He is. Your sin is gone forever. But you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your hearts. Saving faith, first of all, understands the truth about God. It's kind of a head knowledge thing. You understand who Jesus is. And you accept who Jesus is, and you accept who you are, that He's God and you're not. And you need a Savior. Saving faith agrees to this truth, so it's more than just the head, it's the heart as well. You have understanding. You have acceptance. You understand the truth. You believe the truth that Jesus was my substitute. And through His death, He alone made sacrifice and atonement of my sin. I, Wednesday night, I, I have the joy of teaching the preteen kids. And man, it's, they're a blast. They even listen. They're better than you adults. <laughs> and I was talking to them about substitute, what it means to be a substitute. And I was using, you know, a ball game. You're a ball player and coach calls timeout and you sit down, somebody else comes in, that someone coming in is a substitute. You should have been on the cross. God should have poured His holy wrath out on you, my friend. Oh, but Jesus became the substitute for you. And saving faith agrees to this truth. And saving faith surrenders to it. Through repentance of your sin, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, saving faith acknowledges it. God gives you repentance. God gives you faith and you act on it. And you surrender yourself to a holy, righteous God. Trust in Jesus alone. Faith 
is an initial gift. And maybe today, you don't know where you're going to spend eternity. Maybe today you've wrestled with that. Maybe, hey, maybe you grew up in church and you still don't have it down right. Maybe you're not sure if you died today where you'd go. You say, well, I grew up a Baptist. I don't care. I grew up Methodist. I don't give a rip. You know, well, I'm a Catholic. I don't make no difference. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus Christ? The very Son of God who lived a perfect life, died a vicarious death upon the cross, suffered the humiliation of crucifixion. He died for your sin when you understand it and repent of it and by faith embrace it. He declares you free, justified. And then faith is a continual gift. Not just is it justified in initially, but there's something about the Christian life that continues and continues and continues. It's a continual gift. We call it sanctification. Guys, sanctification is what your mother-in-law tries to do to you after you've been married to your, her sweet daughter for a year or two. She tries to change you and straighten up your life. She can't do it, but God can. And after you've been saved, that's what God does. You become a child of the living king. You become a, a, a blood-bought child of God. And he says, you're mine. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to make you like my son, Jesus. And because of that, there's got to be some storms that come. I've got to correct some things, and I've got to mature some things in your life. Peter was, I don't think Peter ever forgot this, by the way. I don't think Peter was ever closer to Jesus than the moment he saw the wind and felt the water and began to sink. And it wasn't Peter. Peter called out. The one thing good about Peter is he knew who to call. That's proof of who he was, whose he was. But it wasn't Peter reaching out. Who was it that reached out? Oh, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Maybe today. You need to call out. Maybe today you're sinking. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe your finances are falling apart. Maybe your friend relationships. Maybe, I don't, maybe the kids. I don't know. But maybe, maybe you need to call out. Maybe you ought to receive the hand. The hand of Jesus. Maybe today you're here just for that. I don't know. But we're going to pray and see what God wants to do. Okay? So let's bow our heads for just a moment. Stu will be coming. Those to be baptized will be slipping out to get ready. And I just want you to maybe zone in your life. This whole story maybe today was about you, see. Maybe it was just about you. And Father, I pray today. Oh, today. Maybe we'll realize that storms are unnecessary. And that storms are important, even though they're not a lot of fun. And there's a lot of pain and loneliness. We get so tired physically sometimes and mentally, emotionally. God, we get tired spiritually. But they're all designed by the master of the wind. He who controls the winds and the seas. And that is Jehovah. That is the great I am. So help us, God, to wrestle through that, I pray, this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. If there's a decision 
you'd like to make, we invite you to come. Our pastors will be here. If you want to join, we invite you to come. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing. Amen. Let's pray over this real quick, you guys. Father, we ask that you take these gifts, Lord, these offerings, Lord, use them for your glory, and Lord, to help us to uh, celebrate uh, with you and, Lord, with the angels in heaven for, for those that are showing in baptism this morning that you've already saved them, Lord. We just praise you and thank you in your name. Amen. So we like to sing this song when we celebrate baptism, so a lot of you guys will probably already know it, but it, our God saves. That's what we're here celebrating tonight. Let's sing that out. Son, 
in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come, we gather together to lift up your name, to call on our Savior, to fall on your grace. Hear the joyful sound of our offering as your saints bow down, as your people sing. We will rise with you, lifted on your wings, and the world will see. Come on, sing out, everybody, come on. Keep coming in.
in. Is this on? Yeah, you're good. All right, there we go. We're going to let all of our kids come in.